The gospel reading today is from John chapter 12, verses 20 through 50, inclusive. It's a dense passage. Relax, this may take it a bit. I will point out that Jesus had visited with Lazarus before the triumphal entry. And then this text from John 12 takes up after the triumphal entry. Jesus at the visit of the man he'd raised from the dead, Jesus greeted by the people as the coming Messiah, has lots to be happy about, but he's not. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who had believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it 
so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words as as a judge, the word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore I say, as the Father has told me, what I say, therefore I say, as the Father has told me. This is the gospel of the Lord. morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day we could celebrate the beginning of your mission into Jerusalem and the beginning of your ultimate conquering over the grave and giving yourself to us that we may be with you forever. Lord, as Chris said earlier, may we believe it May we take advantage of the light that you have shined on the path that you have blazed for us, and may we follow you. Speak through me, Lord, this morning. Move our hearts and direct our eyes, our hope, and all that we have toward you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember back in 1975, I think it was April because, um, well, just the time of year it was, but my dad asked me and my brothers to come outside and, and to listen. It was dark, but I remember going out and hearing all these church bells. And it wasn't, I could, I could pick out our church bell. It was about maybe a mile away. I can always, always hear that one, but there were church bells everywhere in our little town in Northeast Ohio. And they were ringing joyfully because they were ringing to celebrate the end of a war, the end of the Vietnam War, that bloody, violent, seemingly senseless war that had gone on for 20 years had finally ended. The world was finally entering into a time of peace. And although many in our world were thankful, joyful, and rightfully excited in celebrating that our soldiers would be coming home, that family members would be coming home, that death is no longer a risk to these soldiers in this, in this war context anymore. We know what happened. New conflicts arose. Didn't take long. Nations continued to have internal conflict and then divide. Other nations threatened each other Nations conquered one another or sought to conquer one another. 
the Cold War in my, in my life and many of yours begin to ramp up. Remember that very well. And the vicious cycle of international tensions, conflicts, wars, agreements, resolutions, and back around again continued. And world peace, once again, became a thing of the past and a hope for the future. This has been the story throughout history, hasn't it? A story that each one of us has some taste of in, in, our por in, in portions of our lives. Victory itself, political victory, does not bring lasting peace. The Jewish people in the first century were well aware of this they were part of this too. They remembered back when, when Judas Maccabeus came in and conquered the Greeks, got them out of Jerusalem. No longer did they have to worship it, it, alongside the Greeks. They could worship as Jews, finally, once again. And they also got their political freedom that only lasted maybe a couple hundred years at best until Rome came in. And now the Jews found themselves longing for someone to come to their rescue. Someone to come and restore the peace that they once had. To restore the freedom and the prosperity that was now only a memory to relieve them of the, this, this oppressive Roman government. And perhaps, perhaps the one who wrote in today, perhaps he's the one. Think about the prophecy that we talked about, that we use as our call to worship, that prophecy from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. What John puts in there is, fear not, daughter of Zion. Don't be afraid. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Hang on. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, mounted on a donkey. This is looking good. And a lot of the Jews when they saw that first part of Zechariah's prophecy, know the rest. I will, be, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. Yes. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Wow. They were anticipating this one who just rose Lazarus from the dead, who's been healing the sick, who's been touching filthy lepers, lepers who no one could touch. He would go up to them and touch them and heal them. He was giving eyesight to the blind and, and, and people who couldn't walk all their lives. He was touching them, forgiving their sins and telling them to go and walk, and they would go and walk and be healed. Surely he's coming to bring peace. Surely he's the one that Zechariah is talking about. He's going to bring peace and finally conquer this oppressive government. So far, Jesus fits the mold, doesn't he? He fits our mold for who we want as a deliverer. That's why the people added, if you notice when, when he, he was riding into Jerusalem, they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, they're, they're repeating the Hallel that was always said during, during the Feast of Passover. This wasn't anything new necessarily. During Passover and Feast of Tabernacles and Pentecost, they would, they would recite Psalms 113 through 118 as the, as the Hallel, the, the Hallelujahs. But they insert something here. See, Psalm 118 doesn't say the King of Israel. They added that because they saw Jesus as the King, the one who was going to conquer. 
But you notice that, that Jesus never really calls himself a king, does he? He doesn't really ever call himself the Messiah. The title that Jesus preferred for himself more than any other is Son of Man. Did you ever notice that? Son of Man, he uses that title all the time. Gospel writers and people who talk about Jesus, when Jesus says, who, this, who did they say the Son of Man is? Well, you're the Christ. Peter says, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Christ. Uh, Nathaniel called him the King of Israel. We see him called the Messiah. We see him called the Deliverer. We see him called Lord. But he calls himself the Son of Man. <clears throat> the Son of Man is kind of a, a, a term that could be pages could be written about. In fact, pages have been written about that, that title. It's used a lot in the Old Testament. It's used in different contexts in the Old Testament. But the thing what a lot of commentators believe here is that Jesus using this term, this title, Son of Man, is it's a non-political term for one. It doesn't, it's, it's not a, a, a title that belongs strictly to Israel. The king does. The Messiah, that's political. But son of man does not belong strictly to Israel. It's inclusive. It also includes his, his humanity. Son of man. He is a son of man. But the title in this context comes from the book of Daniel. And the way that Jesus is referring to himself and the son of man as the son of man comes from Daniel chapter 7. And it comes from a vision that Daniel received. You may be very familiar with this. It's, <clears throat> it's one of uh, Daniel's visions, and he says this. Daniel says in, in verse 13 of chapter 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is Yahweh, the, 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 the Creator, the Almighty, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Could it be Jesus? Could Jesus be this one? Still, seems to fit the mold, doesn't he? This is good. It really seems that something big is about to happen in our passage today. Something big is about to happen because these, these Greeks, it doesn't say a whole lot about these Greeks, it just says that these Greeks want to go up to Jesus and say, and, and they, they, they go to Philip and they say, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And that seems to be a turning point. And it's interesting that this is a turning point when these Greeks go up and say, we would like to see Jesus. Now, what they're asking for is not just to see Jesus, not just to look at him, but they're asking to talk to him. They want to interview him, perhaps. They want to know him. They've obviously heard much about him, and they want to know this Jesus. They want to see him. And so Philip goes up and tells Jesus, and what's Jesus do? He doesn't really answer him. Well, he doesn't answer him in the way you would think. See, here's something about the Greeks. And by the way, when it says Greeks, no, it doesn't necessarily mean that these were people from Greece. It doesn't mean that these were, what it's referring to as these, these were Gentiles. 
These were Gentiles, and something about the Gentiles, which you got to realize, when they're going into Passover, when they're going to the temple, they were limited as to where they could go in that temple. There was a court of the Gentiles, and it was barred off. In fact, one writing says, the inner temple courtyards were enclosed by a balustrade, and at the entrances to, to, and at the entrances to it, there were notices posted in both Greek and Latin, warning foreigners and uncircumcised persons that crossing into one of the other courtyards was punishable by death. There was a separation. There was a wall of separation between the Gentiles and the Jews. And the Gentiles wanted to go see Jesus. This is significant, very significant, to the mission of what Jesus came to do. So Jesus never answers, but he does say this. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that back in John's Gospel, all the way back in chapter 2, he, Jesus is talking about, my hour has not yet come. He says in chapter 7, chapter 8, my hour has not yet come. And in, in, in the Gospel writers say that Jesus passed through the crowds at one point because his hour had yet not yet come. His time had not yet come. They're interchangeable. Well, now we're seeing it has come. And it seems to come in a big way. Because he's saying, now the Son of Man will be glorified. So, knowing what we just read about Daniel, what we read in Zechariah, and thinking that Jesus may be the one who fits this mold, and he says, now the Son of Man is going to be glorified, what, what kind of images are popping in your head? What are you thinking about? What's this going to look like? The Son of Man is going to be glorified. Something big is about to happen. But he says this. The Son of Man starts to talk about wheat and starts to talk about death and starts to talk about those who want to follow him need to hate their life. He says this in, in verse 24. Truly, truly, meaning this is true, when it's repeated, it is, this is true. This is a, a, a truth from the word of God. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Then he says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He tells how a grain of wheat can multiply and produce much fruit, but only if it falls to the ground and dies. Now, if you're a, a, a involved in uh, farming or anything like that, you know anything about seeds? I don't know the science that goes with that, so, but you, you know that if, if the seed actually dies, it, it won't be effective, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the outside of that seed has to die for that, for that seed, for that germ inside the seed to sprout something. It has to fall, and, 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 and the outside husk has to die off. There has to be a death. What's he saying here? 
he's starting to reveal his mission. He's starting to say, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. My glory is going to look like this. Now, when, when, when he's calling people who are going to follow him to hate their life and to follow after him, let me be clear, he's not telling them to hate themselves and to inflict punishment on themselves like some people have interpreted this. But he's saying, to be committed to me, you have to be committed and hate everything that is hindering you from being my disciple. What things are getting in your way from being Jesus' disciple? Hating the things that we are going after to build up ourselves. Hating the things that we chase after that take us away from Christ. He's calling those who are following him to hate those things, to hate that part of your life and to follow, to pursue him. That you must decrease and he must increase, as John the Baptist said. So what is Jesus' mission here? How is he going to bring peace and order? How is he going to bring this ultimate peace to the world? Well, he's going to do it by blazing a path of destruction. <clears throat> that path of destruction is going to be destroying death, destroying the devil, and destroying division. He's going to be destroying death, destroying the devil, and destroying division. Destroying death. He's already started talking about that. He's already started talking about the seed that falls into the ground and dies cannot do anything unless it dies. And then when it dies, it produces much fruit. That seed being him. That he must die. And you notice that the troublemaker that Chris was talking about, that he was a troublemaker in, in, this, in this whole mix here, that the troublemaker himself was deeply troubled. You see this in verse 27. He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. This sounds very similar to Christ in Gethsemane, doesn't it? That he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply troubled. He's, he's acknowledging that what he's about to do is troubling to his soul. And it hurts. In the same way that he was suffering Gethsemane, he's expressing the same troubling. And by the way, when he says, my soul is deeply troubled, when I, my soul is troubled, that is a real uh, uh, shaking of the soul. In fact, once again, I, I've talked about the perfect tense in Greek. That just means it's, it's a... It's a it's an action with continuing results. He's troubled and the trouble continues. He's continuing to be shaken. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But now for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. In John here, he says, Father, glorify your name. And then, to glorify, your, to glorify his name, the Father actually speaks. The Father actually speaks. And what's interesting is, 
You can think about this, how, how you might react if you hear something that you've never heard before in your life and you start, what was that? It had to be thunder. Maybe it was an angel. Maybe it was an angel speaking. Somebody thought they heard something, but they couldn't put it together. Maybe they were in denial. Maybe they're just blowing it off. No, it could not have been God speaking. God doesn't speak. But the Father spoke. He said, I've glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard, and they thought it thundered and said an angel had spoken. But Jesus, you know what he said? He said, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. I know the Father. I've heard the Father's voice. I know him, and I know why I'm here. But the Father is speaking for your sake. That goes right in line with the writings of John, what John said. He said, these things I've written so that you may believe. The Father spoke for the sake of the crowd so that they may believe. Yet as Chris mentioned, there are, there are those who say, let me hear a voice from God. And when they hear it, they pass it off as something else. Rationalize. It couldn't be that. Maybe I'm hearing things. The voice of God spoke for their sake. The grace of God came through the voice of God right there that they would hear and believe. He's destroying death. He's going to death that he might destroy death. And then verse 31, he's destroying the devil. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Notice here, he's not going after Rome. He's not going after the Roman rulers. He's not going after any human ruler at this point. Because we know, we know that just another one will arise. He goes to the source of the Roman ruler's oppression. He goes to the source of the evil of the ruler who was ruling at the time. He goes to the source of the division, the source of the evil, the source of all the death, the devil himself. And he says, the work that I'm doing, the mission that I'm doing is to go to the source and destroy the source. And now is the judgment on this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He reminds his disciples later in chapter 16, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let me read briefly here from 1 Corinthians 15. We'll probably read this next week too, but it's always good to be reminded of this. Paul says this when he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the work of Christ. He says in, in verse 22 of chapter 15, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. That's another, another way of saying Satan and his dominion will be destroyed. 
It begins with the work of God. It's not completed here in this passage. It's not completed when Jesus goes to the cross. It begins and it is as good as done when he goes to the cross. But all of these things, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Amen. And then we go to verse 32 where we see that he's destroying the devil, he's destroying the, the, um, I'm sorry, he's destroying death, he's destroying the devil, and now he says he's going to destroy division. That might seem a little strange when you look at that verse and see that that's how I titled that. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, I'm just going to stop at, at verse 32 there. When I am lifted up, number one, when I'm lifted up, everybody knew what that meant. Isn't that interesting? Further on down, they say, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? In other words, how are you saying that if you're the Son of Man, how, being lifted up, that means you're going to die. That means you're, you're going to be crucified. That doesn't seem to fit our mold. But it was exactly the mission that he was on to be lifted up, to be killed, to be crucified. But what does this mean? When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. So let's say what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Christ is going to draw, to, to draw every single person to himself. This is not something to say that every single person in the world will be saved. That's not the purpose of this verse. Let me, let me back up and look at the word draw. This word draw is also used back in John uh, 6, I believe. When Jesus, is that right, Chris? When, when Jesus says, no man comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. No man comes to the Father unless the Father first draws him. Now, now that could sound like it means where the Father is attracting you to come, where he's calling you. But that word for draw is actually a word for drawing water. Sometimes it's used for dragging someone. When, when Paul is dragged out of one of the, uh, the cities in, in, in Acts, that word is used. It's a forceful word. It's a word that says when Jesus is going to draw someone to himself, he's going to do it. And what he's saying here when he says he's going to draw all people to myself, all people is not referring to everybody in the world, but to all nations. You see, this was, this was believed to be that Jesus or the Messiah was just coming for the Jews. He was just coming for the people of Israel. And that all peace was going to be brought to the people of Israel, but that wasn't it. It was the people of the world, of all the nations. And Jesus is saying, when I'm lifted up, when my mission is completed, I will have all the nations coming to me, and I will draw all the nations to me. What was happening now is Jesus wasn't fitting the mold anymore. Wait a second, you're going to let them in? 
the ones who we barred because if they come into our courts, they're punished by death, you're telling me you're going to let them in? You're drawing them along with me to you? Hmm. But that's the mission of God. That's the mission of Jesus. That's the mission of the Son of Man who came to Jerusalem that day riding on a donkey. By the way, if you look at 1 Kings, it's interesting. When Solomon takes over for David, Solomon is riding on a donkey. It's an animal of peace, but it's interesting. A line of David, that King Solomon is riding in on a donkey as well. Something else to take note of, as Jesus is going, now this, is, this account, the, the, the triumphal entry as we know it, is talked about in every gospel. And in Luke, there's a point where Jesus is seeing Jerusalem. As he's coming upon Jerusalem, he stops. As he drew near the city and saw the city, he wept over it. And listen to what he says. Listen to what he says when he's weeping over the city in, in Luke 19, 41 and 42. He says, would that you, even you, Jerusalem, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Would you know? What I'm weeping over is that you don't know what really brings peace. You don't know peace. And I'm... I'm right in front of you, he's saying. I'm here to bring you peace as you've never experienced it. Peace that goes beyond any political battle, that goes beyond any war, peace that lasts eternity because it's peace with an eternal God, with an eternal Savior because death is destroyed Because the devil is destroyed and because division, enmity with one another is destroyed. So what's he say? How does he follow that up? So Jesus said to them, 35, the light is among you for a little while longer. We know who he's talking about. Jesus saying, I'm with you a little bit longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of God. Jesus didn't fit their mold, so a lot of the crowd left unbelieving. Left ignoring the signs, left ignoring the words that he said, left ignoring who he is and what he was about to do. But that call is to us just the same way. You see, us just being here in a church, in, in a Christian church, us being able to open up the Bible, to have that in our home every day, that's a privilege. To be able to read the word of God is a privilege. You know, Paul said in Romans, he said, what, what good is it to be a Jew? He said, much in every way. Jews have the or oracles of God. They have the word of God. That is a privilege. That is light that other people do not have. 
While you have the light, believe in the light. Jesus is lighting the path that he blazed and he's lighting it for us. Don't close your eyes to that. Every time you're confronted with the gospel, every time you and I are confronted with the truth of the gospel, you have a choice. You have a choice to reject it. You have a choice to receive it and believe it. You have a choice to seek after that light, but you also have a choice whether you're going to ignore it or not. Don't ignore the truth of the gospel. Don't ignore the Savior who came to destroy death, to destroy division, and to destroy the devil for your sake and for his glory. Don't forsake the light. Come to the light. Come to Christ and receive the truth that he has so freely given to us. Believe on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, would you please move in our hearts this morning? Oh, Lord, you know that we have, some of us have calloused hearts. Some of us will rationalize until we, we have no words left to push the truth out. Lord, would you break through that shell? Would you break through the callousness of our heart? Send out your light and your truth and let it pierce through the darkness that we have embraced. Forgive us for that. And may you draw us to yourself and may we glory in your light. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, in, as, as we spoke about, as I did speak about